Amen. Aren't you thankful today that you are redeemed? Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles, if you would. Nehemiah, chapter number four, is where we're going to be here in just a few moments. And I appreciate those gentlemen singing that this morning. Nehemiah, chapter number four, here in just a few moments. But I want you to back up for just a minute. And how many of you are unfamiliar with this book of the Bible? Anyone unfamiliar with this book of the Bible? How many of you would say, I'm pretty familiar with this book of the Bible? Good, good, good. Well, I don't want to be long in the introduction this morning, but I do want to lay a little bit of a foundation as we get our, our time spent in the chapter that is, is going to lay the foundation for this theme right here in one accord. In chapter number one of the book of Nehemiah, you're going to be finding out that Nehemiah is going to receive some news. These news are going to come to him and immediately his heart begins to break. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that as these news come, verse number three of chapter one, they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, these words that are beginning in chapter number one of the book of Nehemiah begin to reveal the heart of Nehemiah towards these people, towards the situation that is going on. It reveals that this man was a man who had a heart of compassion. He loved these people. He cared for these people. He cared about the situation that was being heard and also the eyes of being what was being seen. And so you hear in his voice, you hear as he is trembling in verse number four of what is being said. And I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, these are very strong words. I know we like to take these words and we say, yeah, you know, fasting and yeah, praying. Aren't these casual things? Aren't these normal things? Aren't these things that we ought to do? He sat down and he wept. You know, we've all sat down at times. We've all wept at certain times. We've all received news and, and, you know, we sat down during those news sometimes. But that is not the context. It's not just a, a light situation. It's not, hey, Nehemiah, this is what's taking place. And Nehemiah sits down and says, well, I wonder what they're going to do. You know, I hate it for him. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, in verse number four of chapter number one, Nehemiah re, re, is reminded of everything and receives these news. And as he sits down and weeps and he mourns, that, that statement, mourn certain days, speaks of months. It's not just a couple of hours. It's not just a couple of days. This is months that he is mourning. And it says, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, there's a, a very important principle here. As we think about Nehemiah receiving hit these news, notice the very first response that he gives is not to man, but to God. You see, oftentimes when we receive news, our first response is to go to man. Hey, what am I going to do about this? How can you help me with this? This is the news I just responded. But his first response was not to man. His first response was to God. He takes these news to God. He takes this situation to God. The Lord was already aware of everything that was going on. So in verse number five, the Bible says and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. Now that word great speaks of being awesome. Terrible speaks of being awesome. That keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive. And thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy, notice these words, thy servant. It's all he saw himself as, as a servant. He didn't see himself as anything great. He didn't see himself as any uh, savior to the people or warrior for the people or an answer to prayer to the people. He just saw himself as a servant, a yielded servant. He reveals his heart of compassion. He reveals his heart of communion. And he also later on is going to reveal his heart of commitment in the work that he is going to do. 
So chapter number one lays the foundation for a great work that is going to take place. In chapter number two, for just a few moments, as you walk to chapter number two, you're going to begin to see in verse number one that Artaxerxes, the Bible tells us in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before him sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And then I was very sore afraid. He said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So notice again his response. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You see, in this book of the Bible, we find that the response, you go and you study when Ezra the scribe is going to come onto the scene, and the people are talking to Nehemiah, and Ezra is going to be coming on the scene, and they say, hey, Ezra's welcome to come, but just make sure that he brings the book. I'm not concerned about anything else. I'm going to take my request to the Lord. I'm going to take my, my situation to the Lord. My request is always going to go to God first, not to man. And then you come to the season of revival that is going to break out. And they say, just make sure he brings the book. But just make sure he brings Hey, can I share with you what he's saying? We don't need all the fluff. We don't need all the activities. We don't need all of the, the, the stuff of the world. We don't need anything to pump us up. We need this. We need the truth of God's Word. Can I share with you one of the saddest realities in our nation nowadays is that there are many churches that are being established, many churches that are being founded, many churches that are being opened, even in Clarksville, Tennessee, that are just full of fluff. Just full of fluff. There's no Bible to it any longer. There's no uh, truth in God's preaching any longer. It's just, hey, we, we want you to come. We want you to see all of what we have to offer. I was reading an article yesterday, and it was talking about churches and talking about people getting into churches, and it began to lay out some things that people are looking for and things that people are not looking for. And I found it very interesting. You know, every single year in the month of January, we have a, a leadership conference that we host here just for our church family. And we, we have a leadership meeting that we kind of conduct and deal with the, the ministries of the local church and everything that's going on in the local church. And we always talk about trying to make sure that we are a friendly people. And it was very interesting. In this article that was being written, it said that, that many people are no longer just looking for friendly churches. Here's what they're looking for. They're looking for relationships. They're looking for someone to connect with. They're looking for a, a, a family of believers that they can say, hey, they weren't just a friendly people, but they were a welcoming people. They didn't just say, hey, it's good to see you, but they said, hey, come alongside of us. And I found it very interesting as the article went on and began to list all of the things that, that people are saying that they're no longer looking for. And then all of a sudden you started to get even deeper into the, the, the article and it said they're looking for truth. Now, it's easy to say, right? A lot of people say, well, we want the Bible to be preached. But then sometimes when the Bible is preached, we get a little offended and we say, well, that preacher preached hate speech. No, it's not hate speech. The Word of God is very clear. It's very direct. It's going to pierce your heart. It's going to get you under conviction. It's going to hurt your feelings every once in a while. It's going to step on your toes every once in a while. As a matter of fact, this morning in our Sunday school hour, we were talking about Paul and Apollos and the, 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 the competitiveness there that Paul was trying to deal with, saying that there is no competitiveness. Hey, we're on the same team. The gospel is moving forward. All of these many things. 
And as he is dealing with that, and as you see in Scripture, and you begin to, to look at the gospel moving forward, and you begin to look at the, the direct statements that Paul would often make. I believe if we were to invite Paul to come and preach for us this morning, we'd be offended. Oh, we, we'd, we'd be sitting there saying, good night. Does this guy know tactfulness? I mean, does he know how to, to, to be, I mean, good gracious, he just told me he loved me, and then he just told me how wicked I am. All in the same sentence. And we could get offended at Paul, because some of the things that Paul had to say were very just direct, but he cared for people. And I was listening to a, a football coach just the other day who was doing an interview, and as he was doing this interview, they were talking about his hard-nosed approach, and he began to, to share some information, and the, 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 the interviewer was asking, he says, do you think this is actually going to fly in our, our society today? And he said, you want to know? He said, one of the things is we're not, telling the, we're not telling kids the truth any longer. We're telling them what they want to hear. He says, I think it's good for kids to hear the truth. This is a football coach talking now. He says, now he's not revealing it from a a spiritual side. This man is a Christian. He does believe the Lord Jesus Christ to be Savior. He has called upon the name of the Lord. He testifies of that. And and I was listening to it. He says, we need to tell them the truth. We need to tell them that, hey, that's not the real world, what all these other people are telling you. Can I share with you, in many churches today, we are living in the same lie. We're not living in reality any longer. Well, Nehemiah here in this book of the Bible, as he is going on and he is trying to bring the people along, there comes a season of opposition. And for any one person or for any church or for any ministry that is trying to do a great work for the Lord and trying to serve the Lord, you can expect opposition. You can expect there to be uh, the enemy attacking. You can expect there to be troubling times and trying times. And there can be moments where you're saying, can I even go any further? But when you get to that place, it's one of the greatest places for you to be. Because it's in that moment where you can say, Lord, unless you continue carrying me through, I cannot make it. And the Lord says, oh, that's where I thrive. You see, when you're weak, I'm strong. And whenever you come to the end of yourself, you begin to see the Lord and truly who he is and the work that he can do when we get out of his way. Can I share with you this morning, as you come to the book of Nehemiah, you see a great work taking place. I love this book of the Bible. I love the end of chapter number 2 when the Bible says in verse number 17, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waits, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, and we be no more reproached. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. As also the king's words, they had spoken to me. They said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Winston bowed in the horn, uh, the, the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this king, this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build that ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. As you come to the end of chapter number 2, Nehemiah is setting the tone. He is saying, we're going to continue just choosing God. Hey, we're just going to continue moving forward with the Lord. We're going to continue. Notice what they say in verse number 19. They say, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? No, because there's a greater king. There's a greater king that I'm serving. They say in verse number 20, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion 
nor rite, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I love studying the life of Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a hard worker. And Nehemiah was a man that just sought to, to honor the Lord and glorify God and the work of God and the will of God for his life. And he was willing to do all of these things and he did not care if his name was heard. He did not care if his name was talked about. He did not care if people knew who he was. He just wanted the work of God to move forward. Can I share with you one of the greatest things that you find in all of Scripture as you continue studying those who are in one accord, those who are doing a great work, is that as they were in one accord, they did not care about whose name was mentioned. They just said it's all about God. It's all about the work of God. It's all about the Lord's will for this church. It's all about the Lord's will for this ministry. It's all about the Lord's will for this class. Whatever place you're talking about, it's all about Him. So now you come to chapter number 4. In chapter number 4, you see opposition. Chapter number four, you see a struggle. Chapter number four, you see a a leader that's going to take the people and remind them of the great work that they're doing and what the Lord has in store for them. And that's one of the greatest things that sometimes we need to be reminded of is that we take a step back because when you're in the midst of the work sometimes, sometimes you lose sight of the goal that's actually at hand. You lose sight of all of what's ahead because in the midst of it, it might be a struggle. In the midst of it, it might be painful. In the midst of it, it might be a trial. In the midst of it, you're saying, how am I going to move forward? I was watching uh, a documentary just brief just the other day, and it was talking about certain things of journeys and this and that. And it began, to, as the gentleman was talking, he began to talk about the journey. And he was trying, he was a, he was a runner who was trying to, to make it in a certain amount of time and in miles and all of this. And he was talking about all of the many struggles of, of bones breaking in his ankles as he was running, as he was trying to put all the pressure and moving forward and his body telling him to stop, but he just wouldn't. And he began to talk about the, the many setbacks in that journey as he was trying to reach the end goal. But there came a day when he finally reached that goal. And he begins to go all the way back to the beginning. He says, I remember going all the way to the back, uh, back to the beginning and saying, I'm going to do this. And he thought it was just going to be a, a run. He thought he was just going to do it and there was not going to be any trials. There's not going to be any trouble. There's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any problems. But along the journey, he found there were some setbacks. There were some who would come his way and said, you will never be able to do this. And there were some who would try to discourage him and some that would tell him to give it up. He would never be able to accomplish this until one day, finally, he took a step back and he says, what is the end goal? That's the end goal. I've got to get there. Can I share with you in the Christian life and in the work of God sometimes, if we do not make Jesus Christ our end goal, then we've set the wrong goal. Jesus always ought to be the goal. When you begin to think about what the goal is, and sometimes we say, well, this is the goal. Well, if it has anything to do with self, then you've misplaced the goal. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about us or we or anything like that. It's all about him and what he has for us. And so Nehemiah understands this. And so notice what the Bible says in chapter number four of the book of Nehemiah. But it came to pass when Sinballot heard that we built the wall, he was wroth and took great ending. I love verse number one. You know why I love verse number one? Because all the way in chapter number two, Sinballot and all of his and these enemies and all of those were mocking them and thought that this was not possible. And one of the greatest things about those who don't believe in you and those that don't believe in the task at hand and those that try to ridicule you and just just try to tear you down and those who try to discourage you is that when they see the work of God moving forward, they get mad about it. Can you imagine for just a moment, Nehemiah is here and Nehemiah understands the work of God is moving forward. 
Chapter number two, they're saying, oh, what are you guys going to do? This is not going to work. This is not going to happen, all this. And Nehemiah just kind of got that gentle grin on his face. They're still working. They're still plowing. They're still doing the work of the Lord, and the enemy is still saying stuff. In chapter number four, verse number one, the Bible says again, but it came to pass when Sinbalat heard that we built the wall. Oh, I love this. He was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. You know, one of the, the very first things that you always see about the enemy whenever they begin to, to see something good taking place is they'll try to tear it down with their words. They always start from the foundation. They always try to, to tear the people down and tear the work of God down. And the Bible says, and he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now to buy the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Notice with me, if you would, we're going to see a couple of seasons. One of the seasons is going to be a season of the people and what they're doing. One of the, another season is going to be very similar. And then you're going to be going to see a season of the leadership and how he approaches that. Notice with me, if you would, number one, we see the season of battling here. In this chapter, we see the season of battling here. And in verse number one, you begin to see the people talking here. There is a, a talking that is taking place and you begin to see the attitude and the actions of the enemy and all of what, the approach of the enemy and what they're trying to do. And one of the things we have to keep in mind with the devil and many of his tactics is that he knows where we are weak and he thrives upon it. You see, that is why the Christian life is not just a monthly life. It's not just a, a life that you choose every time a revival meeting is taking place. It's not just a, a, a life that you choose every couple of years to live out. No, it's a daily life. As a matter of fact, it's a moment by moment life. Lord, help me to be consecrated unto thee right this very hour. Lord, at this very hour, help me to be consecrated. Lord, as I'm making this decision, Lord, help it to be the decision you would have for me to make. And Lord, help me to be consecrated unto your will and not my own will. Lord, this is my desire, but if it does not line up with your desire, then Lord, change my desire. In every single moment, you're being in such a conflict with yourself and with the Spirit, and you're saying, Lord, help me to continuously follow you. You see, there's a season of battling here. The enemy is talking. The enemy is taunting here. Notice in verse number two what they say. Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? And as you begin to think about the talking, they began to mock the Jews. What do these feeble Jews? Sanballat was simply stating how weak these individuals were. How inadequate these individuals were. How they were unable to do what the, the work would require them to do. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. You see, the work of God is greater than any of us this morning. And we find ourselves with great insecurities. We find ourselves with great inabilities. We find ourselves at very inadequate people. And unless God does the work through us, the work cannot move forward. And it's every single moment laying ourselves and our pride aside. Imagine for just a few moments in this very moment as what is taking place is going to be said of the enemies to those. And Nehemiah is standing there. Nehemiah could have just jumped in, inserted himself and said, look what we have done. Look what I have done. But no, this is not what he does. You see, Nehemiah's confidence was not placed in himself or the people around him. Nehemiah's confidence was placed in God. And it always was placed in God and always ought to be placed in God. And so he begins to talk. They say, they began to mock the Jews. What do these feeble Jews do? 
And then he says this, will they fortify themselves? Oh, this is a, a subtle accusation that they are rebelling against the king. Just a little subtle to kind of throw them off to get them thinking. To, to, to see if, they, hey, maybe we can cause them to be confused. And all of a sudden, if they're confused, they might argue against themselves. And so he says, will they fortify themselves? He says, will they, will they sacrifice? You see, the sacrificing had been put on hold because of all the damage that was as though he was kind of subtly jabbing and saying, ha, you can't. And so all of these many things, imagine for just a few moments, if you're trying to do a great work and then someone comes onto the scene and they just subtly start saying stuff and very quickly it kind of adds up. One thing you can look past. Two things you can try to work through. Three things, I mean, it's, 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 it's about to stop you. He goes on though, he says this, will they make an end in a day? He again attacks the uh, enthusiasm, if you would, of the people by making it known that the work could not be finished in a day and it may take weeks. It may take plenty, plenty, plenty more time trying to discourage the people from following Nehemiah's leadership. The next thing he says is, will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? This question is asked in such a way that the people might would believe the task was hopeless and impossible beyond their own abilities. So all of these many things, he's attacking the minds of the people. He's attacking what they're doing. He's attacking the leadership. He's attacking the foundation of everything that they're moving towards. And so he sees the talking taking place. And as you continue walking on down, now you've got verse number three, when Tobiah the Ammonite, who's just a little uh, little weasel, begins to, to kind of perk up, begins to throw his two cents in it. He has nothing to offer, but he then goes on and he, he says at the very end, the Ammonite was by him and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. And I love reading this chapter. And I'm a very, when I'm reading, I, I'm a very visual person. I, I try to visualize these things. And I imagine an argument taking place. And let's just say my, my seven-year-old son is behind me and I'm arguing with somebody. And I, I bring up all of these good points. And all of a sudden, my, my little weasel of a son who's seven years old, who's on my side, begins to start talking to the person. He says, yeah, what my dad said. Just like that. It's like, chill, I, I got this. Uh, hush. You know, what, what do you have to, to say, Tobias? Who are you? So notice what Nehemiah begins to do. You see in verse number five, or in verse number four, rather. Hear, O our God, for we are despised and turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity and cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. In verse number six, so built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together. And the half thereof, the people had a mind to work. You see, when there's a greater yes burning inside of you, it's very easy to say no to everything else. And Nehemiah had a greater yes burning inside of him. And the people had a greater yes burning inside of them. And the Bible tells us in verse number 6, the very end of that verse, that the people had a mind to work. And as you begin to walk through this passage of Scripture, and you begin to see all of the taunting, you begin to see everything that is going on, as they make this statement in verse number 6, so built we the wall. In such a way where they're saying, just watch. Sit down. Enjoy what you're about to see as our God proves Himself faithful once again. 
Verse number seven, but it came to pass that when Sinbalad and Tobiah, the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. Notice again, another response. The response is always Godward. Lord, we're taking this to you. Lord, we're taking this to you. Verse number one through three, you begin to see all of the taunting and all of the talking taking place. Verse number four, hear, O our God. And verse number six, you hear the people saying, we're going to build a wall. We had a mind to work. And all of a sudden, they were very wroth. And they conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Can I share with you, any time that the church or any time the ministry or any time that the child of God is doing a great work for the Lord and moving forward and opposition comes, don't run to man, run to God. Every single time, run to God. You begin to see in this verse right here that now not only are they talking and taunting, but now they're threatening. They're threatening. They were very wroth and they conspired all of them together. Verse number 10, and Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. There's a little bit of tension now, a little bit of of questioning now, a little bit of discouragement setting in. Verse number 11, and our adversary said, they shall not know, neither neither see till we come in the midst of among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. And it came to pass that when the Jews which uh, dwelt by them came, they said unto us ten times, for all places, when she shall return unto us, they will be upon you. So you begin to see all of the tension rising. I go back to verse number 6 and about these people. Two things that we notice concerning us being in one accord as a church family and us being in accord as families and us being in one accord as brethren and sisters and as we move forward together. Is that in verse number six, it reveals the, 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 the mind of the people. They had a mind to work. But as you continue reading on down, verse number nine, it reveals that they had a heart to pray. And I wonder this morning is if you come to the house of God, if you even have a desire to do the work of God, if you have a mind to work, because if you're going to work, it means you have to put in some effort. It means it might be a little trying every once in a while. It means that Sunday school class. It means that ministry you're leading. It means that work that you're doing. It means you're going to have to work at it. And guess what? The harder you work at it, the more times you're going to see where you yourself are going to fail at certain times. Or there are going to be times when people come to you and begin to reveal those failures. And you're going to have the opposition. You're going to have the enemy. You're going to have the thoughts crossing your mind. And can I even do this any longer? But have a mind to work. Keep in mind the God of the work, not the work of the God. Keep in mind the God of the work as you keep God as the example and you keep the Lord as the primary goal. And you keep plugging along. You say, I will never stop because he is worthy. You know, my, the theme of uh, the much of what has taken place the last couple of years in my own life is the Lord has been teaching me this lesson that no matter what it is, whether it's good or whether it's bad, just keep in mind that the Lord is worthy of all things. He's worthy of the struggles. He's worthy of the joys. He's worthy of the good times. He's worthy of the bad times. He's never worthy of me quitting because he's worthy of everything but quitting. Oh, may we remind ourselves of the God of the work. But then they say in verse number nine, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God. I wonder if not only do you have a mind to work, but do you have a heart to pray? You see, it's more than this 20 second, Lord, bless the food today. Help us have a good day type of stuff. Oh, that's not praying. Much of that is vain repetitions. 
I wonder when was the last time you actually truly had a heart to pray and got on your knees and began to ask the Lord to help you and to bring you along and to, to build you up and to tear you down and to show you all that he had for you and to empty you as a vessel and to fill you back up so you can be overflowing all of the many works of God in our lives and what he desires to do for us. You know, it's a very strange thing, but the Lord has, has dealt with me many times whenever we begin to pray, we know the, the, the things that sound good, right? We know the things that are easy to pray, Lord, bless this, and Lord, help this, and Lord, provide this. And we pray those things out loud when we're around people, right? But I wonder, when was the last time in your private prayer you said, Lord, humble me if I need to be humbled? Lord, remove all the bitterness in my heart, Lord, if there's any bitterness. Lord, if there's any sin within my life, Lord, really and truly deal with it. Lord, right this very moment, Lord, remove all the pride of my life. And Lord, remove all of the, the, the struggles that I don't want to go through. Lord, help me to be uh, have a, a godly vision of what you have for me. And Lord, move forward in faith. And Lord, deal with your servant. Those are hard words to pray. When you begin to ask God to start dealing with you, and he begins to deal with you, he doesn't deal with you just maybe a couple weeks later. Oftentimes, he deals with you right there, and you're thinking, whoa, I mean, let me at least finish the prayer, right? Lord, reveal any of the the sin within my life. Well, there's this. Hold hold on. Let me finish my statement. God will do it, and he'll do it right then and there. Oh, to get right with the Lord, a heart to pray. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. Notice with me, not only this season of battling, but they had a season of building as well. You know, this is the exciting times. The struggle oftentimes is the thing that we want to move past, but all of a sudden, whenever it's time for the home stretch, the building part, that's the fun stuff. But you see, in the Christian life sometimes, the building part can be a struggle as well. Because for the Lord to really do a deep and thorough work in our lives, He's got to weed out all of the junk. He's got to get rid of all of the the nonsense, if you would. And so as these people had a mind to work, you go and you begin to see their dedication. You begin to see them working at it. As I begin to think about their mind to work and their heart to pray, I begin to think about what the Lord has oftentimes been trying to teach us, that if we are never willing to prepare ourselves, then we'll never be prepared to be a blessing and useful for the Lord. You see, how many times in our own lives have we prepared a, a good speech? There have been times whenever I've sat down and, hey, I've got the, the, the sermon outlined. I've got the sermon alliterated. I've got the sermon. I, I'll look at my wife and I'll say, hey, I don't know if this will be good, but man, is the alliteration good. But if God's not in it, and if the servant isn't prepared, then it won't do anything. Can I share with you, you might be doing a great work. You might be doing something that is worthwhile, but if you have not prepared yourself, then it will not last. And you will not last. You see, it's not about us. I've learned time and time again in my own life that if I am a vessel that is not pliable and if I am a vessel that is not really truly prepared myself, then how can I expect God to use me? I was reading a book just the other day and it was I was telling Miss Autumn on Wednesday night, her and Brother Sean came in and we were talking about books for just a few minutes and there's a, a book that I'm reading that's very thin, but it's one of those books that you can only read about a paragraph or two because it's so convicting. And you'll, you'll begin to read it, and he began to, to illustrate and talk about the, the cup of our lives. He began to talk about the Lord filling our cup, but how the Lord cannot fill a dirty cup. And how many times do we go about our lives thinking that we're a clean cup, but in reality, we've 
made ourselves believe something that is truly a lie. We say, oh, I'm doing a good work. Whoa, you might be doing something. But God is not so concerned about what you're doing. He's concerned about who you are. You see, you can make yourself on the outside look good. But aren't you thankful that we find a reminder that God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside. You see, the Lord knows who we are. And as you begin to walk through this passage of Scripture, we begin to see the heart of Nehemiah moving forward. And these people had a heart to pray. And so notice with me, if you would, as you continue walking on down, you see that not only did they have a heart to pray and a mind to work, but in verse number 16, the Bible says, and it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held their spears, the shields, the bows, and the habergans. The rulers were behind all the house of Judah. They which built it on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, and every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other held a weapon. They had eyes to watch in this moment. And this is oftentimes one of the greatest struggles in the Christian life right here. Because every single one of us, when you get weary, you don't want to do anything. When your eyes get heavy, you don't want to do anything. When the burdens continue to weigh, you don't want to do anything. When the work gets harder and harder, when the trials come, when the troubles come, when the problems are present, you just don't want to do anything. But you see, I believe that not the first point that we saw concerning these people made the, the difference. I don't believe it was the simple fact that they had the mind to work. I think that was just, they said, we're going to do something. I believe that it was as they were continuing to walk through their lives and reevaluate everything that you continuously see a common theme in this book of the Bible that they continuously took themselves in the work of God to the Lord in prayer. I believe the many prayers that these individuals offered up that it itself brought them to a mind to work and eyes to watch because they understood the enemy is always around. And I wonder today, have you begun to prepare yourself in the midst of all of it. Notice with me, the final thing we see is not only the period of building and the period of battling, we see the period of boldness. And it's found in their leader, Nehemiah. Imagine for just a few moments, the leader is over here. He's doing a great work. People are doing a great work. The gates in chapter number three have been addressed and the work of God is moving forward, and, the ne- and Nehemiah is just sitting there. He's aware of all of the many things the enemy has to say. He's aware that they're going to attack those who are building. He's aware that the enemy is going to attack those that are watching. He's aware that the, the enemy is going to attack those who are doing a different work and this work and that work. He's aware of all of that. As a matter of fact, they try to set up a meeting, and Nehemiah says, I don't have time for you. The work of God is going to continue to move forward. Nehemiah is aware of everything that is coming forward, but at the very beginning of chapter number one, you see the foundation is laid already in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah, all throughout this book of the Bible, his eyes are on one thing and one person only, and that is the Lord. In chapter number one, the news come to Nehemiah, and what does he do? He takes it to the Lord. The king, in his presence, begins to question his countenance, and what does he do? He takes it to the Lord. The enemy begins to question the work of God, and Nehemiah and the people take it to the Lord. And so all of this has brought it to a point where Nehemiah is not caught off guard. He's not uh, questioning anything. He understands the opposition is going to come because who would want the work of God to move forward if you don't want the work of God to be present? And that's the issue oftentimes. 
we assume that because there is opposition, that why would they fight us? They don't want you to be present at all. You know how they don't want, why they don't want you to be present? We see this all throughout. We see the Bible being taken out of public schools. Long time. Prayer being taken out of public schools. Long time. Now you're seeing that they're starting to allow some of these things and there are people that are afraid of the word of God and prayer and the foundations to be laid. And as I would go back to my days in college, I remember a teacher walking up to me as we would go on Fridays. And I remember we would go into the public school and only those who chose to come would come and they would come to the, 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 the Bible study and we would sit there and we would teach them. We would split off into groups and the teacher, I remember coming up to us one day. And she said, the student body, those who come, they're so different on Fridays after this. And I wonder why. It's because whenever you begin to refocus everything on the Lord once again in the way the Lord would have for us to live, the right way that you go about your day, the right perspective of things, it changes things. And so Nehemiah begins to put the right perspective amongst the people. Notice what he says. Because in verse number 7, the Bible says, But it, that it came to pass when Sinbalad and Tobiah, the Arabians, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth, conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayers unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Verse number 14. Back up to 13. Therefore said I in lower places behind the wall. And on the higher places, I even set people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I love the way that Nehemiah starts this out in verse number 14. Notice where he says, he doesn't say, hey, you've got children. Hey, you've got a wife. Hey, you've got a house. Hey, you've got brethren. No, notice where he starts out. He says, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. And while you remember the Lord, fight. While you're remembering the Lord, fight for your brethren. While you're remembering the Lord, fight for your brothers. While you're remembering the Lord, fight for your wives. While you're remembering for the Lord, fight for your children. While you're remembering the Lord, fight for your houses. And all of his confidence was placed in this statement. Remember the Lord. And all of his courage was found in this statement. Remember the Lord. Can I share with you, as a church today, as we move forward and we try to reemphasize this statement in one accord, one of the greatest things that we can do is constantly in the midst of the work, remember the Lord. Constantly in our homes, remember the Lord. Constantly in our ministries, remember the Lord. Constantly in our daily lives, remember the Lord. And continuously move forward in one accord. You see, it's time for us to do something. You say, oh, well, you guys do something and we'll just stand back and watch. Well, you're going to be the one that misses out. You're going to be the one that's standing there and saying, what is going to take place and how is this going to be done? Well, if you stay long enough, you'll be a part of it. Go with me for just a moment. I'll be done in just a moment. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. We're walking through the book of Psalms right now on Wednesdays, and I sure have enjoyed it. I don't know if everyone else has, but I sure have. Verse uh, Psalm 66. This is where we were, and this is where we will end this morning for just a few moments. 
The psalmist here is laying the foundation. And as you come to verse number one, the Bible says, Make a joyful noise, and all ye lands sing forth the honor of his names. Make his praise glorious, saying to God, How terrible, there it is again, that word terrible, how awesome art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. And all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. As you come and realize in Psalm 66, verse number 1, there is a command, if you would, or a, a, a joining, if you would. He says, make a joyful noise. So you, you begin to see in verse number 1, he's saying, come and rejoice with us. And as we begin to relay what is taking place, there are often times there's a lot of noise that is taking place in this world. There's a lot of noise and there's fussing and there's chaos. And he says right here, make a joyful noise. This statement that is joyful, it speaks of something that is happy. It's not something that is, is just out of, I have to do this, but he wants to do this and he desires to do this. The word noise is not just that in chaos. It's not just that and make a lot of noise just because we want you to be loud. Y'all was watching an interview just the other day of a coach, and uh, many of you know I enjoy college football on Saturdays, and uh, Tennessee was playing Texas A&M yesterday. Coach Heupel don't know a lot, but he does know one thing. He was talking to, a, to an interviewer. They said, Coach Heupel, what do you need the Tennessee fans to do today? He says, I need them to be loud, and I need them to be Tennessee fans today. Well, that's not the type of noise we're talking about. We understand the, the purpose in that, just loud and chaos, causing confusion. We understand that. And this is what this statement is being said. Make a joyful noise. Do it with purpose. He says, come and make a joyful noise. But I, know, I love this. There's a lot of noise sometimes. But in verse number five, he says this, come and see the works of God. Jared, go stand over there for me for just a moment. In Psalm 66, it's all continuously pointing to the Lord. And Jared's over there, and there's a work of God going on over here. He sees the noise. He even hears the noise. He's a little curious. And one day, me and Jared are talking and having a conversation. And he, he, he sees all the joyful noise that is going on. He says, hey, through conversation, I said, hey, man, how you, how you been? He says, I've been good. I said, yeah, it's good. We, we've just been plugging along. He says, yeah, I see. I see some of what y'all are doing. I, I don't know what it's all about, but I, I mean, I hear it and I, I see I see everything that's going on. And I say, oh, well, come and see. Come and see. And all of a sudden, I bring him along. I began to allow him to not only see from afar all of the joyful noise and all of the rejoicing and all of, notice what he says in Psalm 66, verse number 2, sing forth the honor of his name, make his praise glorious, say unto God, how terrible art thou, notice these words in thy works. Because there's a humbling in Psalm 66 of being able to be present in the work of God. And so I say to Jared, hey, stop just watching on the outside, come and see it for yourself. Come and see all of what God is doing. But notice, it gets better. In verse number 16, the Bible says this, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. I imagine Jared over there, just standing over there, seeing the work of God moving forward. He's hearing all the noise. He's hearing everything. And all of a sudden, I come and say, Hey, it's enough for you just to hear it all. Now it's time for you to come and see it all. 
And then there might be one day we're sitting in the house of God. Maybe we're sitting on the couch together. We're just talking. Maybe we're at lunch and we begin to talk and we begin to rejoice over all of what God has done. And we begin to say, hey, it's time for everyone else to come. Sorry. Come and hear what God has done for our soul. Oh, how wonderful it's been. How great it's been to see all that God has done. And so I want to invite you. Maybe you're on the outside, you see all the noise, you hear all the noise, you see everything that's going on, but you really don't have a mind to work. And it's time for you to get on board with what God is doing in your own life and what He desires to do in your life. Maybe it's time for you to get on board with what God is doing in the local church and move forward with the local church. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I don't really have a mind to work, but I want to. Well, let's start right where it needs to be started. Let's begin to prepare ourselves and have a mind to pray, hearts to pray. Lord, deal with thy servant. Lord, deal with me in my personal life. Deal with me in my private life. Deal with me in my public life. Lord, help me to see what you have for me. Lord, I'm tired of living this way, seeking after my own pleasures. And then you come and you begin, as you begin to deal with the Lord in prayer, and you say, Lord, deal with thy servant. You begin to develop that mind to work. And you say, I'm tired of just hearing all the noise. I want to see it all. And then down the road, you begin to rejoice in what God has done. Many of you have a very strong testimony of what God has done, and it's only by His grace. I believe we would testify to that. And I don't know about you, but I remember times in my life whenever I would see and hear the noise, and it wasn't until I got in and I said, I'm tired of just hearing about it. I want to see it myself. And I am able to stand before you this morning and saying that God has done something in my own soul. Only God could do Watching the work of God move forward and watching the Lord deal with me in my own life. and What he has done in this church and watching God work in this church and watching God save souls in this church and watching God add to this church and watching the founding pastor with tears in his eyes a couple of weeks ago look at me and saying, I love to see what God is doing here. There's only one time in all of Scripture where the Lord begins, and I believe it's in the book of Acts, where there was someone who says they were addicted to the ministry. I'll tell you, there's a lot of addictions out there. And if there's one thing I want to be addicted to, I want to be addicted to the Lord and His work and watch what God can do. Can I share with you, it's enough time for you to stop watching everything. Why don't you come and see? Let's be in one accord as we move forward.